Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And in today's episode, I am joined by the always stoic and thoughtful legend of poker, the one and only Andrew Lucky Chewy Lichtenberger. And to begin, I want to tell you a personal story about Chewy. At the Rio, during the WSOP in 2012, I was battling in a 10 and a quarter cash game when the kid next to me whispered in my ear, oh my god, Chewy's about to get a seat in the game. That dude is terrifying. Enter Chewy, one of the most non-threatening and genuinely warm human beings I've ever encountered off the felt. On the felt, he's only terrifying if playing against a human being who trusts themselves completely, pays attention to everything, and then does the exact thing you desperately do not want them to do over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like Jason Sue might say, Chewy is overflowing with presence. Despite being only 33 years old, he has cashed for over $10 million in live MTTs and has terrorized high-stakes cash games all around the world. It's no surprise that he's widely considered one of the very best poker players in the game today. And Chewy's always calm, well-articulated, and laser-focused explanations, you're about to learn how Chewy goes about integrating his intuition with tactical analysis while he's playing cards, what coaching rising poker star Landon Tice has been like, what a flow day is and why they're Chewy's favorite kinds of days, and much, much more. And before we head into this episode, I also want to let you know that Chewy's about to drop a nuclear greatness bomb with his answer to the question, what's a purchase you've made in the last year? That's been ultra impactful to your poker game. And now, without any further ado, I am honored to bring to you not only one of the poker goats, but also a genuinely amazing, amazing human being, Andrew Lucky Chewy Lichtenberger. Chewy, good afternoon, sir. How you doing? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm like... I said in our pre-conversation, I'm fully vaccinated, almost out of the two-week waiting period, excited to see the world, <laughs> see, see some live human beings um, just in, in, in the flesh, I, I think is something that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm, uh, as I was mentioning, I'm, I'm pretty excited for this year and especially poker, I think. You know, we're going to see a lot of really awesome turnouts at live events, the World Series especially, and yeah, I'm truly looking forward to it. I, I, I bet. Have you been playing much live poker over the past year? I guess we'll start there. Of What have you been up to since the last time you were on the podcast? That was about a year ago, right? Maybe, maybe 10 months or so. Yeah, um, 
So, no, I've not been playing much live poker. I played one tournament at the win a couple weeks ago. That was fun. It's nice to see some familiar faces, albeit behind the masks and the plexiglass and whatnot. Um, I've pretty much just been playing online. Um, I installed a little home gym, spent a lot of my time in there. That was nice. Gyms closed over the past year, or at least open odd hours. Um, and generally, it just kind of is, is nice to have a exercise uh option you know co-located with your living situation so yeah for sure we have a we have a gym in our community that's been open the whole time and it's been nice just bopping over there like basically if there's three people in there then it's exceptionally crowded um so most of the time have it to myself and yeah it's just basically removing the friction from going to the gym means that you you train more regularly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been great. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been living a pretty simple life. It's been, you know, kind of a good year for me overall. What stakes have you been playing? Um, how do you feel about your poker game over the past year? Uh, I feel great about my poker game. I haven't been playing particularly large. I mean, so I play a lot on WSOP.com. I mean, I pretty much just play everything they run. I started playing a bit on ACR. And uh, that's been pretty nice as well. Yeah, I uh, I feel great about my game, though. I've been, been working pretty hard, staying on top of things, studying a lot of my uh, sessions uh, after the fact, and, you know, just trying to uncover more and more ideas of how these cards fit together in this, this deck that we use to play the game we love. <laughs> so tell me, can, can you get any more granular as to, like, what a chewy study session looks like, like after, you know, you're, you're reviewing a, a tournament or cash game session you played. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much just like looking over hands and um, determining like, okay, you know, I think I have the right idea about this situation, but you know, let's plug it in the solver and see, you know, do we have the right idea? Are there other ideas we're missing? Is this the right bet size? you know, hand selection, did I get the ranges right? Because, like, a lot of, I think, what studying is, like, why studying is meaningful for me is, you know, grasping these, you know, conceptual ideas or heuristics and then being able to apply them to the future situations that you find yourself in. So if you're kind of, I, I guess for me, it's, you know, it's a multi-layer process, like, you know, the other preflop range is right. Like if you got that right, like that's usually a good indicator that you'll be able to make some reasonable conclusions thereafter. Um, if you didn't, obviously, you, know, you want to kind of figure that out. And then beyond that, it's like, well, if, you know, you get the range interaction right. Like, you know, what sizings are appropriate? You know, what player has the equity edge and so on. A lot of that becomes second nature. And yeah, you know, pretty much just diving into that uh, time after time. And, um, you know, it's one of the beautiful things about poker situations might seem similar to glance but then there's very subtle differences it's like oh you know suit of this hand versus that hand like makes kind of a difference but something i've kind of uh identified about a lot of the study work i've done is that you know while it's valuable and i i do truly enjoy it i think it's really fascinating it, your um your simulated outputs are only really as good as your inputs and very slight adjustments will yield sometimes pretty substantially different results so for me, it's always an important reminder that like, while I, you know, I hold myself to a reasonably high standard in terms of work ethic, I 
I think it's also important to be able to, you know, cultivate the side of one's abilities insofar as how you relate to poker and really the world as a whole. You know, you never want to be too like heady or overly intellectualize things. Like it's it's good to have frameworks, but I think the real strength uh, comes from being able to you know, make decisions on the fly and just like really trust your ability to problem solve in the moment. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a give and take, but I think the two, um, the two sides of things do complement each other and there's a synergy there. If you can you know find the right balance between them. And what is your driver behind the study, right? Like, because I think people go about it different ways and through a, like self-flagellation, right? Like this was one of my early drivers for studying and working to improve was just like me being angry at myself for making what I perceived to be a mistake and then investigating that mistake to see if I could do better moving forward. Um, is it a, a place of just curiosity? Yeah, I think that's a healthier approach to take. Like obviously anger can be a, um, a helpful motivating force, but I think if you kind of like beat yourself down too much, it almost creates like a negative reinforcement where and it's like, well, I don't want to do this thing because I associate it with this anger. A couple of the guys I, I do some study with, one in particular uh, has this, this phrase I really like about, you know, just like discovering how the deck works. Like, how does it actually operate in these situations? And like, you know, the deck kind of is its own life force in a way. Like it kind of almost has its own consciousness. It's just situations that it presents. They all have, you know, these, um, these similarities, like it's under the same umbrella. So yeah. I mean, I, it really is uh, a genuine curiosity uh, that is, you know, driving me on a regular basis. I've never heard that framing before, but I kind of love it and I might steal it that you know the deck deck has a mind of its own and just sort of understanding what's happening and, and what the deck is doing and i'll never forget um having jason coot on and him basically make making the statement that you really want to understand what's going on in poker and once you understand what's happening in poker then that allows you to you know play different games like you just fundamentally understand all the forces at play and then you can just transition to the different games and they all make sense because the theory's there the framework's there and you understand kind of what what poker's about and that just always stuck with me because you know i did not ask the follow-up question because the follow it's not a question that i think could be answered in a podcast uh but obviously like what is happening here right and that that really caused me to kind of go to the root of like what's happening when we play this game. What are the forces at play here? What determines actions? Um, what determines frequencies? Just like, yeah, and it, that's been something that, yeah, I've really been researching over the past like six to nine months. And it feels good sort of understanding fundamentally like just what's going on behind the scenes and what leads to like, you know, the PIO outputs, right? Because like basically like you said, if you mess the inputs up, you're toast straight from the jump because you can't trust the outputs. But if you sort of understand what's happening within Pio and what its outputs are based on and you understand what's going on, you can almost predict what Pio is going to say, right? Um, and then in the spots where maybe you don't understand something, there's a lot to gain by looking at the Pio outputs. Yeah, 
I wouldn't even so much say that like um, you can get the output or the inputs wrong. You can, in a sense, but it's more just about finding. Like, here's an example. Like, there's certain situations where if you offer like a quarter pot C bet or like a three quarter pot C bet or whatever, a half pot C bet just might be a more effective option. And, you know, it's maybe not going to make a huge difference, but it will be. It will be relevant enough that uh, you know you might not have made like a an error. I guess it depends how you want to you know define things or <laughs> you want to quantify things. But uh, the the idea is basically that there's you know different sets of equilibrium for different different inputs. Um, right. I guess I was, maybe. Yeah. I was more saying like preflop ranges, right? Like you, if you mess up that input, well, then it's hard to trust any output that you look at, really. Yeah, I mean, that's the same thing, right? Like, the preflop ranges are all generated from the inputs as well. If you offer different raise sizes, you'll, you're going to get different outputs, and your, your post-flop sims are going to have differences as well. So, yeah, I mean, uh, again, that's why I think it's really important to study, but I also think it's just as important to... I'm probably more important in the games I play because I'm not playing the high stakes right now on a regular basis, so I'm not having to play against, like, super, super experts, having that like problem solve on the fly ability, I think is, is probably even more important. Yeah. And it's It's more valuable too, because you're really trying to find exploits and the weaker opponents that you play, they're more readily available in, in spots. Um, yeah. I think it's more fun and fulfilling, honestly. Sure. To have that creativity. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I think it's, it's also fun to challenge yourself to play against, um, you know, top of the line opponents. But um, I don't know. Creativity is cool. Yeah, it's it's the it's what makes us human, right? It's like the art element yeah. of, of playing cards. And definitely, playing like a robot has never really appealed to me. Like, <laughs> it's not something that like I guess I've aspired to do. Um, is to just like kind of have a mechanical mechanical approach to all the different scenarios, and then just kind of go from there. But um. Tell me, I know you've uh, been mentoring young Landon Tice. You want to tell me about your experience with that? Yeah, sure. Um, I met him about a year ago. He kind of just reached out to me on on Twitter after I'd been in his Twitch chat at a point. We did a couple, like, hand review streams. And at first, I just honestly didn't really... I didn't really know like what his deal was. I, I just figured like, Oh, you know, he's kind of just like a fan of poker. I, I'd seen him in various YouTube chats. And then I realized like, Oh, this kid actually has some real talent and, you know, kind of just kept, kept, uh, kept in touch, did, did a few more reviews. He eventually came out to Vegas over the summer, played some WSOP events. Um, me and a couple other guys took some action of him. He did pretty well. One thing led to another. Uh, he kept doing well, and here we are. Um, <laughs> he's, he's he's definitely a very talented kid. He's a lot more responsible than I was when I was his age. Yeah, I think he has a bright future. He's a lot more responsible. How irresponsible were you when, when you were his age, Chewy? Uh, I mean, there's... <laughs> depends, like, what aspect of life. Like, I mean, I don't think I was ever particularly, like unsafe physically i was definitely financially irresponsible just kind of hard to be 
it's hard it's hard to take money seriously when you have a little life experience and you generate a lot of it quickly and it almost always leads to losing a lot of it back which was certainly the case with me some people don't and you know more power to them i think that's awesome but uh yeah it's you know a lot of people like myself just kind of need that learning experience yeah, I did some partying and whatnot when I came to Vegas. He doesn't really do any of that. So that gives him a bit of a leg up there. Uh, just in terms of being able to like stay more focused on his, his career-oriented goals. But, you know, life-work balance uh, is important too. So, Sure. Absolutely. I, I was just curious, like, just knowing, knowing like how, you know, Zen-like, calm, unattached to labels. We, we talked about like, how to say your last name in the pre-interview and you're like, whatever, it doesn't even, you can, <laughs> you can just say whatever. Um, I'm not very, very attached to it. Um, it's hard, just hard for me to picture you really ever being just like irresponsible. Well, imagine away. It was, it was definitely there at a point. Yeah. I'd like to think I'm pretty responsible now, but um, I don't know. It's just part of being young. I mean, really you, I think like it, it's in a way healthy to kind of like, quote unquote get it out of your system like you never want to like live your whole life wondering so like for me I, I never went to never went away to college like I took two semesters of a uh, of college but I was like living at my parents house and playing online and stuff so I never really had that experience so when I came out to Vegas like I sort of wanted to experience like a little bit of that college life even so I wasn't like living in a dorm or whatever I was having a slightly different experience but yeah I'm, I'm definitely grateful that I went out to clubs and, you know, lived it up, <laughs> made, yeah, made yeah. some mistakes. Um, just, but mostly it's just silly. Cause like you're spending a lot of money for like overpriced alcohol, it's like meeting people who like, you know, whether they're chasing cloud or whatever, I don't really know what they're doing, but <laughs> you know, people that are just, they don't have the same like, um, long-term motivations as, as you do, or as I did, I guess. Yeah. But like you said, you know, experience is the great teacher and we only learn through Absolutely. having those experiences. Um, yeah. Going back, you know, to the beginning of your career, who do you, who would you say is the biggest influence in you becoming a professional poker player and why? It's gotta be Aaron Jones. He really just like took me under his wing when he was already succeeding quite a bit. We were friendly um, just from two plus two forums and the community there had a bit on Skype and then uh eventually I'd flown out to Indiana to meet up with him and some of his buddies and got to know him better and yeah I mean he was just really helpful um mentoring me both in poker and in life stuff like you know again going back to the responsibility thing like he was a lot more responsible than me and Landon actually have some similarities both not really into the whole partying lifestyle um to keep it more more low-key in that sense and have, have a good like ability to focus on on the task at hand um but yeah it's just really a good friend even to this day and, and definitely was pretty instrumental in my success i would say how old were you when you met aaron jones probably 19 maybe yeah i think i was 18 or 19 and how old was he uh, I assume he was about, uh, maybe he's a year or two older than me, but okay, yeah, about the same age. Yeah, so similar similar ages. He's just, uh, yeah, 
more more responsible or <laughs> something early early on. Um, but it's good to have those like people in your life, especially at that age, to kind of give direction in the same way that like I'm sure it's really great for Landon to have you in his life who you know, you can give him direction and kind of the wisdom that you've gained through mistakes or regrets or, you know, just past life experiences. Yeah. I mean, the trickiest thing is always for the individual to like integrate that information without making the mistakes themselves. Like I'd certainly been given a lot of good advice over the course of my, my life up to this point that I didn't utilize and had to make my own errors. Yeah, I guess this is a challenge that probably a lot of parents experience, you know, kind of teach their kids like, hey, don't make these same mistakes I made. And their kids are like, no, I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just hell bent on doing it, right? Like, it's basically like they need to have the freedom and the latitude to make the mistakes. And then you just have to be there to kind of put them back together after they realize why, <laughs> why you try to give them the wisdom that you did. Yeah. In your poker career. Do you have any especially memorable or maybe even a favorite session that you've played? Yeah, I mean, I have many. One, one I guess, that comes to mind is, uh, I don't remember what year this was. Let's, I guess it was pre-Black Friday. I guess let's call it 2010. I was playing Heads Up on Christmas Eve, and session went, like, late into the night. I was stuck a few vines at 100, 200. I was just one table in the sky. And uh, I just like won it all back, like a huge spot where like, I four bet a suited king and bought the parent of flush draw and made the flush. And it was just like one of those moments where, in isolation, the hand, like, you know, it's not that interesting. The session really wasn't even, I guess, that interesting, depending on how you look at it. But you know, kind of like the holiday vibe and, you know, being at home and just, yeah, it was just like kind of a, just a memorable experience. Um, a few live sessions as well, live cash, uh, sessions, certainly like big tournament wins. Um, yeah, it's funny though. Sometimes like hands that aren't really like in the larger part of the session, like the session might not be that memorable, but like individual hands will be, even if they're not like particularly big or whatever. Often I feel like those are for me spots where you implement a new theoretical idea and it goes well, or you go with your gut and like that pans out well and just, you know, positive feedback type of situations. Of course, there's also the, you know, the ones where things really don't go well and you have to <laughs> kind of remember that uh, yeah. as to like why it's important to not make those same mistakes again. So, yeah, kind of. It's both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, I, I think that like memorable hands for me are just kind of like when I see a door that I had never seen before, or that maybe and you walk through it. yeah, and you walk through it, and you're like, whoa, like this is interesting and cool, and like I, I'm curious about this, so it sticks in the memory, um, even if it's like not a particularly big pot or just right. whatever. It's just gaining visibility of something that was previously unseen is just always going to pique your curiosity yeah because that's gonna it's gonna keep showing up like the you know whatever situation it is probably gonna happen again in the near future absolutely and so i have the opposite question and you kind of alluded to it but uh 
any memories or stories about your least favorite poker session ever? I guess one that comes to mind, I used to do this a lot. It's like, have like a big score. I've actually done it a few times and almost go on like a winner's tilt where you feel like invincible and you just like, it's so, it's so beyond idiotic where you just think like, Oh, everything that got me to this point is like irrelevant. And now I'm just going to like, you know, play like alpha poker or whatever. Like it's, it's really dumb. Um, I don't do it anymore, but, uh, or at least if I do it, it's, I catch myself a lot sooner if I were to do something like that. But um, yeah, just like dusting off, playing cash after a big win when, you know, it's just, what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> it makes no sense. Um, but, you know, that feeling of invincibility isn't really the right way to describe it, but it's it's how you feel after like a big tournament win and you just you just think like oh i'm just like the king of the world i'm just gonna like you know do whatever i want and oh how quickly the cookie crumbles when (laughs) uh, a hefty dose of humility is handed out you have to come back to earth yeah i mean i think that's pretty natural especially like after a big tournament score where you know adrenaline's high confidence levels obviously going to be ultra high and then yeah, you get a little too big for your britches and then elite competition kind of sits you down and <laughs> makes you realize like, oh, I, I can't just do whatever I want. I still have to work within the framework of like what got me here. Yeah, it's like the classic pride before the fall. But also I've had the same experience where after a big win, your confidence is high and or my confidence is high. And then I utilize that effectively. Like I don't, you know, rest on my laurels and you know, just keep like, you know, you know, doing what works. And, and that, you know, has also panned out well. So speaking of this, and this, this is not something I've ever really verbalized or even said out loud, I don't think. Have you ever, like I've gone on some just like sick runs, right? Just like massive heaters that persist. Have you ever felt happy to like, lose or make a bad decision because I, I found myself like, yeah, sometimes like I'll just be on a stretch where I'm just making like great decision after great decision after great decision. Then I make a bad one. And I almost feel a sense of relief that like, you know, okay, I'm not like, I'm not playing perfectly. I'm still making mistakes. Like, I don't know. It's hard to, hard to even verbalize what's going on there, but I know that it's happened more than one time. Yeah, um, I know what you're saying. I, I can't say I've had that exact experience, but just the general idea of like, you know, losing almost feels comforting because it's like, okay, I'm not invincible. So yeah, I can kind of relate to that. But I do also think it's kind of just like a limiting sort of negative self-imposed belief because, you know, we're... We all prefer to win, I would assume. For sure. Um, I, I certainly do. So it's almost almost like a little bit of a self-sabotage. It's like you're getting the result you want and you're like trying to push it away. Almost, it's almost like a I don't deserve this kind of thing in, in, in a sense. Uh, but I, I can relate to that. I, I think, you know... <laughs> We have a lot of like cliches in our culture, like, oh, nothing good can last or like uh, what goes up must come down, like these types of things. But, um, you know, there's a certain 
um, pragmatic element to, to it all that you have to kind of be aware of. But at the same time, like shooting yourself in the foot doesn't do you any good either. So yeah, I mean, just taking it as it comes and, you know, just trying not to, not, not even trying, just, just simply not thwarting progress when things are going well is kind of my approach nowadays. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it hasn't, it's nothing that's happened recently, but just like, you know, the self-flagellation, the anger. And then like early on, I I think you're right. Like it it is a, it is self-sabotage where it's like growing to an uncomfortable position. Um, Mm -hmm. like having too much money where I have to like move up to uncomfortable stakes or I'm having too much success where it's like, I'm uncomfortable expanding what I'm doing. And because of that, like there's this little like feeling of relief when like the other shoe drops and shit would go bad. And it's like, who, okay. I I almost, I almost had to play um, a stake that I'm not super comfortable playing or, you know, maybe I feel like I don't deserve to play that stake or whatever it is. Yeah. I think you're kind of underlying, underlining rather the, um, the factor at play there, which is like this, like feeling forced, like you're feeling forced to do these things that you don't want to do. And the discomfort, I think, comes from that. And for me, it always just comes down to like beliefs and like how you're relating to yourself and, and your experiences. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I would say um, I mean, there's never a rush, really. Like you can always just take things, take things slow. And, and that actually seems to work out quite a bit better. Like, Amazon, I've tried, you know, I guess another cliche, like fools rush in. Anytime you try to just like conquer the world in a day, like, you know, it doesn't really work out. <laughs> Never. Like it's, it's, a long, it's a marathon. It's, it's, uh, it's not a sprint. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. Just for the listener, like sometimes growth, uh, actually most of the time growth can feel uncomfortable and you, you can resist it, right? Like it, you're just, you, you can resist it. If you don't feel like you're ready then you're going to resist the growth, but just kind of letting it happen and being curious and keep putting one foot in front of the other, I think is if I could redo things the way that I would approach it today. Yeah. I mean, when you're growing, you're quite literally in like a new terrain or, or a new territory. So it naturally is going to feel maybe confronting, maybe not always, but um, it's just going to feel new. So too much of that too quickly, yeah, you can desire sort of a, a pullback to the good old days or what have you. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely important to have the self-awareness to recognize when things like that are happening because uh, you know, if you don't acknowledge it, like eventually it will hold you back. For sure. And uh, again, I, I think maybe this is like the curse of youth is like limited awareness. Um, as I've gotten older, it feels like my awareness to blind spots have, has just expanded, especially if I'm like meditative, reflective on how I'm feeling, the way things are going, just like the feeling of self-sabotage or just how emotions are affecting me in my day-to-day life. I think gaining awareness of those is, at least in my experience, just can't really put a price on how beneficial it is. Yeah, I'm right there with you. When you think of pots one, so we'll go from like sessions to a specific pot. What's the first hand that comes to mind? Well, just because we were talking about it earlier, it was just a spot in a tournament where I, um, 
all the three bet like fun small blind. I think I had queen ten off. In like jack nine four, I called a C bat. The term is an ace. And um, small blind bet like kind of small. And I jammed for like not much more than the bet. And it was just kind of one of those spots where this was like pre-solver era. Nothing like it wasn't a play I would usually make. Like obviously the ace, you know, the three better and yada yada yada. But it was just kind of like, it was just natural. Like it just felt natural. It was just the right idea. I folded and I don't know. It's just like those, those hands really speak to me where you, you just do what needs to be done and you don't overthink it. And I think those are really the hands that I've had like the most, um, fond memories of and I think also the most success when you just don't overthink things like the theoretical foundation will get you like that's like what will propel you to have success for you know the entirety of your career you know just like not playing bad hands pre-flop or understanding like you know you know uh what hands to three bet with or what have you um but those like really like one-off kind of moments uh I feel like those to me are are what I can pinpoint a lot of my success on, particularly in tournaments where you know like obviously one wrong play can break you, and uh just the same like one really great play can often propel you um and I think like in pretty much all of my biggest uh tournament scores. There's been like one or two or maybe like a you know a handful of these spots where you just kind of like deviate a bit from what would be like a ordinary way to approach a situation. And yeah, you just kind of like give birth to that creative inspiration. What is and the what what's the guiding force there before taking that action? Like it it must be some internal feeling like can you describe that yeah i think it's just trusting yourself like ultimately like you can even hear it a lot a lot of times in like the post-mortem analysis people give of like hands where they say things that indicate that they felt this way or like sometimes people just flat out say like oh i knew this guy like whatever and obviously sometimes it's results oriented but yeah, I think you just have to really trust yourself like to be a professional poker player and to have longevity in this industry that like, you really have to trust yourself and there's no like other way about it. Like you just have to be willing to have conviction in the decisions that you make and just go for it. And you just have to be really honest about, you know, whether or not what you're doing makes sense. Um yeah. Have it, have uh, any of those moments ever gone awry? Of course, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's natural in, you know, the sort of ladder of progress. Like, when you're kind of getting used to feeling things out like this, like, I mean, I've certainly made plenty of blunders where sometimes you're just outright lying to yourself. You want it to be one thing. <laughs> it's just simply not that. Like, that's a pretty common one. 
And I think like the easiest way to proceed past that is being like, okay, you know, I had conviction. Um, again, taking like a softer stance with yourself, like you know, I had conviction. You know, I, I went with my gut, my read, whatever. Um, it didn't work out, and that's okay. And like I'm just gonna keep charging forward. And the more you dwell on it, the more you sort of, you know, just stagnate and uh, prevent progress going forward. I mean, we're playing a game of incomplete information. So like, of exactly. course, of course, we're going to make blunders and we're going to face plant. And that's just a thing that's going to happen. And, you know, the goal is not to be perfect and make perfect decisions in all of these moments. The, the goal ultimately, really, if we want to quantify it, is just to, you know, have a batting average that's higher than 50%, right? Or higher than 75 or whatever that threshold is for you. But basically just... There's, there's, there's a scoreboard here. And if you follow your intuition, it guides you correctly 10 times. And then twice you blunder. It, it seems kind of like folly to focus on the two times without, you know, just giving value and weight to the 10 times where things went well. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with the overall synopsis, although I would say that, and maybe to a fault, like I do I do actually like focus on that perfection. And like, that is sort of like an idealistic goal of mine. And I feel like I've had sessions or portions of sessions at the very least where everything is just kind of like, um, it's just like clockwork. Like you just find the right spot. You're just like really plugged in. It really just is unfolding very naturally. Um, and I really strive for that. So yeah, I mean, you know, the batting average uh, makes sense. Like, you know, that's going to make you money, but I'm really out there going for, like, I want to hit, like, every note. Yeah, that's why, the, that's why your batting average is so high, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why it's so high, because you are trying to, you know, choose the right moments, and you, you care about making the right decisions, and that also is going to drive you to really invest all energy into, you know, trying not to blunder but it's inevitable right like because again we're first we're imperfect creatures and then secondly we're playing a game of imperfect information yeah you just gotta be cool with that for sure yeah like self-forgiveness again takes you a long way in this world Absolutely. i would say that like just this week i was doing a private coaching lesson and there were multiple times like my student sends me a plain explained video and I'm hearing his thought process, how they're thinking about their decision-making, the different options that are available, the data points that they're observing. And there was like four points to where they verbalized all the good reasons for taking an action. And then they took a different action after like 30 seconds. And it's like, no, like trust yourself, right? Like you were there, you knew what to do. You yeah. just did not execute. And I think that's where like the self-trust comes in, where it's like, trust that intuition, trust your gut, trust that your study, um, your subconscious mind is really trying to tell you what's going on here or the correct action. Don't talk yourself out of it. Um, I've just found like when I just react based on what like quote unquote feels right, um, oftentimes my results are way better <laughs> than when I try to overthink stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, it's a synergy. You need both, but yeah, just trusting yourself goes a long way. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do. 
Coach Brad Wilson. As a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. Rated R. Do you have any poker lessons? You mentioned irresponsible Chewy, uh, 20, 21-year-old. Who knows how old? Maybe you're still irresponsible, and <laughs> or you maybe. still view yourself as irresponsible, or maybe you'll view yourself as irresponsible in 10 years. Who knows? What's a, what's a lesson that you've learned from a dark teacher, a bad experience that you've taken away, something that's given you value over the years? Yeah, so unequivocally, the biggest... Uh dark teacher, as you put it, um, in terms of like a, a lesson learned through experience is that just because you're good at poker doesn't mean you're going to be good at other things. Certainly the poker skill set is transferable, but it's not like always directly transferable and problem solving in other industries or aspects of life is going to come with a, a whole slurry of different variables that you've probably never dealt with before. So yeah, again, probably goes with like the overconfidence of like, oh, I'm crushing in this game. Like, I'm just going to go, you know, try to crush it in other things. Yeah, I, I guess just like, you know, kind of similar to what I said before, like not trying to take over the world kind of mentality, uh, just playing it a little closer to the best. And, you know, just always kind of like remembering what got you to where you are. Like, it seems to pretty much always be the case that whatever made you successful is what's going to allow you to continue to maintain your success. Like if you attain something with a certain mentality, like sometimes you need to change it a bit to sustain, but usually it's a lot of the same principles. So just really not forgetting those. And you're kind of, I guess, alluding to uh, an outside of poker failure um, that yeah, just business stuff, really. Just thinking like, oh, these startups seem like a great idea. Or like, uh, I know, like, I mean, it's it's usually business stuff. Like, poker players make money. They're like, oh, sweet, I'm going to like put this money to work elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it works. I can't say I had like a complete and total failure, but certainly had some lessons learned. I came in like, this was a bit ambitious to say <laughs> So speaking of ambitious, it makes me think of the, I can't remember if it was the godfather of poker. I know somewhere Doyle wrote about starting like a Christian television network and like uh, investing in money to like raise the Titanic. Just some, <laughs> basically he, he mentioned that he was all, he was very grateful for poker to pay for all of his failures um, in business, uh, which just kind of always stuck with me. And I, I just find it kind of funny. Yeah. What's a common assumption that you see people make about their poker careers that you think they should spend some more time thinking about? So like other pros, for example? Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people just limit themselves, honestly, like whether it's their self-limiting beliefs or, I mean, usually that's really what it comes down to. Like I constantly find that, I'm many uh, magnitudes more optimistic than other people. Like I'm optimistic, I'm idealistic. Like I'm always thinking like more and more as possible. And 
I honestly think a lot of people just like shoot themselves in the foot by for whatever reason, just not thinking that like greatness is possible in, in whatever sense. So yeah, uh, I would say that's probably the most common thing I see. Yeah. I mean, it's, we build barriers, right. To keep ourselves small. And I think that like, it's just a, it's a thing we, we human beings, you know, we're biased first and foremost, like in the ambiguity effect is a real thing. And like when we're venturing into something that's unknown, there's a natural tentativeness or a natural fear. And that can really do some damage over the course, over the course of a lifetime. I, I think that like, you know, the number one regret of the dying is that people don't live a life that's true to themselves. But I don't even think that's really I don't think that's the heart of what's going on. I think it's, they don't know how to live a life that's really true to themselves. They don't know just how to take the chances or the risks. Yeah. I mean, I guess mentorship's a big thing. Obviously it depends a lot, like what kind of family you're born into, what kind of friends you make along the way. What do you yeah, think people yeah. could do to, to sort of help them overcome self-limiting beliefs? I mean, there's a lot of good, like, inspirational content whether within the industry that you're focused on or you know just other success stories yeah i mean it's probably it's it's probably not like a one size fits all kind of answer i think you know it really depends on the individual and what their particular struggles are challenges i guess but okay um, let me okay let me ask more a more specific question so someone, the profile of someone like Landon, right? Um, maybe they show you some self-limiting beliefs and just sort of like subconsciously, they don't even really realize what they're saying or what's going on. How would you approach giving mentorship to someone like that? I mean, with him, like, he's not really that kind of person. Like, he's very, he's very sure that like he's going to have success and he has been for a long time. Like he made, he, it's the kind of person he is. He made like a video of him playing like uh 10 cent, 20 cent PLO like three years ago or whenever he first started playing poker and, and put it on YouTube and titled it like, um, you know, the best player in the world before he's the best player, that kind of thing. <laughs> like that's the kind of mentality that like, I guess some people call it like fake it till you make it, but I think it's, it's not even really fake. It's just like, Hey, like I'm being honest with myself about where I'm at and where I believe I can get to. But like, how do you deal with people, I guess, that have limiting beliefs? I think you just kind of have to, maybe a little bit of a tough love kind of thing, you know, use some tact. Don't like, you know, create a situation where somebody can like double down on their like uncertainty or whatever and, you know, become upset. But you do have to point things out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it can be tricky. You know, trying to help people through like emotional challenges. Yeah, I, I just think uh, as long as you have the right intentions, you usually can figure figure it out along the way. And, and I would say too, like most of us are far more capable than we really believe we're capable yeah i think that's true just like pretty much across the board we we could all do more than we really think we could do and there's sort of the i mean like so the landon case right in, in my case too this like arrogance when when i was young it was like i i found out about poker and 
I told everybody that I would be a professional poker player when I was 19 and the year was like 2003 or whatever. And like, nobody really, I mean, people honestly don't know now (laughs) that professional poker is like a thing and like out in the real world, but like, it was just sort of that self-belief confidence, arrogance, however you want to frame it. Um, and I, I don't think without that, I don't know whether or not I would have been able to make it or not, but it was just like, uh, and I asked Anna Marquez too, when, when she was making the decision to pursue poker, like if there was any doubt or thought about it not working out or her failing, and it was like, no, like I'm going to make it. I know I'm going to make it. And she did. And, you know, I did. And I've just seen that play out over and over and over again, where it's like just that, that confidence early on really, yeah, you can't put a price on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, super important. What would you consider a weakness in your poker game? And what steps do you take to overcome said weakness? I don't know. I feel really good about my game right now. I mean, I, I guess like, uh, you know, if I find that like I'm having trouble with a spot, I just study it and then I just you know, eradicate whatever perceived weakness was there. So I'm not going to claim I have all the answers, but I don't think there's like a sort of thematic issue that I struggle with on like a session to session basis or whatever. It's not like I find myself in like a certain spot and I'm like, oh, like I don't really know like what to do here. Like I've seen so many hands over the course of my career at this point. My pattern recognition is pretty good. If I get in a spot, like I have just so much, so many previous experiences to pull from. Uh, yeah. What about young Chewy, right? Like you, you have whatever, 10 or 12 years ago. Probably. Uh, I was too passive pre-flop in spots. Like I would just always, like I would default to like calling a lot more just to take things post-flop. Maybe that wasn't necessarily like an issue at the time, but I probably made a lot of mistakes on the river in the sense that maybe I didn't pay off too much, but probably bluffed too aggressively in spots where it was just like, Hey, this guy's like not folding. Like, what are you doing? Kind of thing. Um, torched probably a lot of money doing that. That's acceptable torching. I think I I would rather torch money doing that than the other way of not bluffing enough. I think. I guess. I mean, if you jam and you get snap called a bunch, it feels pretty (laughs) shitty. (laughs) Oh, I'm not saying it doesn't feel bad. I'm just saying like, just as a characteristic, um, if we're have like a base characteristic of over aggressing, I would prefer to over aggress, I guess, than under aggress. Like, I think it's easier to learn how to learn how to dial back the aggression than it is to teach somebody to be more aggressive. That is probably true. I started off actually playing like in my various, very earliest days of poker, like really like tight. Like I didn't understand aggression. I read Super System and I was like, oh, send me off with flush draws. That seems sweet. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll hit the lightning round. Uh, have you made any purchases in the last year that have been impactful to your poker game? Impactful in my poker game? I bought a Tesla and I tend to not like make really like big purchases, but. 
I needed a new car. I test drove a couple and I was like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> and it's a nice reminder to me that like, hey, if you work really hard, like you will be rewarded. Um, you'll get like cool things. So yeah, I would say in a sense, I'm like proud of it in that like, it, it's just a good reminder to me. And it's like, it keeps me going. Like, it's good motivation. Yeah, you, if you want like more things like this, you know, keep working hard. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I did not see Tesla coming, but like, that's a great framing of like, this is the payoff, right? Like this is the payoff behind the hard work, the study, the grind. Really hard, but yeah. Yeah. Um, what's a poker related thing that people rave about that hasn't worked for you? So I know that there are some because I've, I've noted like a couple of times this will happen. Someone will say something and I'll just kind of, myself be like i just don't agree with that i guess like it's a bit redundant but you know the sort of limiting self-belief again you know a lot of people just like the kind of natural part of who they are i think i made it pretty clear like <laughs> doesn't really work for me um you know maybe it works for some people where that's their way of like being humble um i think there's other ways to accomplish that yeah, nothing else really comes to mind. What What are some things that you wish you said no to more often? I do a pretty good job of saying no, generally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that that's a good thing. We, we're a lot yeah. of lot of lot of good things. Um, what What <laughs> about the the opposite of some things that you wish you may have said yes to more often? Yeah, I could I could probably stand to say yes more often um, to just new experiences. I think I have a pretty decent yes, no balance when it comes to like being invited to do stuff. It's one of those things where particularly as someone that, you know, has always spent a lot of time working from home, but particularly over the last year, it's really easy to just default to be like, no, I'm just going to stay in, do this thing. But then when you do go out and do stuff, pretty much always is a good time. Obviously, sometimes like it's a swing and a miss, but for the most part, you really enjoy like either meeting new people or, you know, hanging out with friends or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like basically not the same as like going to the gym or training, but it's like, it's a thing that you may not feel the pull to do it, but then afterwards you know why you did it and it feels good. And, you know, you're happy with the decision that you made, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's few better feelings than that. It's like, okay. So one of my favorite things is I call them like flow days. It's not the best like description or maybe it is, but when a bunch of like unforeseen things happen and you just have this day with like all these fun activities and they, they used to happen a lot for me when I'd be in like Barcelona for an EPT or whatever. And it's like, Oh, wake up. Like, you bust day two of a side event and then you just have like this exciting fun day where it's like, Oh, you see some people at the pool. Oh, now you're going to get lunch. And like, you're running into other people and like a bunch of just like really fun things unravel. And, uh, those are some of my favorite life experiences when you just don't know what's coming and it's just like, boom, 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 all these like exciting, it's like an adventure. Like I love adventures. So yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. That, uh, um, of course, you know, just, 
no expectations or plans and you just, it's just everything kind of fits into place. Right. Um, yeah. hopefully, hopefully more flow days, um, in the near future. I think you'll have a lot of opportunity, especially with when things open back up, because my gut feeling is that people want to have some fun. <laughs> they want to go do fun stuff and hang out with other people, uh, yeah. more, more so than who knows, uh, how long. What's something that you've strongly believed about poker only to change your mind later on and what led to you changing your mind? So I think at a point I really believed that there was like a very binary right and wrong way to approach things in like a very individual sense. So like, oh, if like I fold this spot or I call this spot and I'm wrong, that like this is going to heavily impact like the butterfly effect future of things. But I think that's not at all the right way to look at it. Um, it's, you know, again, quite limiting in that sense because you can easily get caught up thinking too much about the past. Um, like, you know, some spots are close or whatever, and you do want to mull them over and make sure strategically that you have a better idea going forward or what have you. But I think now my perspective is it's a lot more about how you relate to the decisions that you're making as opposed to the decisions themselves. Like, obviously, if you keep blundering and you're like, oh, I'm just going to stay positive, like, that's not going to work either. But you just kind of have to let it roll off your back. And just, like, keep, you know valiantly um starting forward yeah and i mean sometimes just you know the way that it works sometimes you don't get enough scenarios to feel good about the result because you don't have enough results and maybe things just go poorly two or three times and then you get stuck thinking uh ruminating on, on a spot or whatever when yeah it's just not worthy of rumination or a good expenditure of mental energy yeah I, I will say, though, that um, just because of the, like, general way that I view life as a sort of, like, reflective mirror, like, I really do probably place more impact on the significance of situations that I find myself in, even over a small sample, not in the confines of poker, like, specifically, or or isolated to poker, but just generally what they represent about, like, ways I'm thinking about might, might be something outside poker. It might, it might be something inside poker, but like I'm pretty open to uh, changing my mind about things based on what happens. Like I think you have to be pretty flexible in your thinking. For sure. Like we have very few data points and I, at least, and I know that I don't have the answers. The more I learn, the less answers I feel like I have. I feel like I, I have like seven answers to things. Maybe I don't even have that many. But like as you learn, you grow, you take the data points as they come, and then you go from there. It's, I just think that's a very rational, logical way to make your way through life. Yeah. All right, man. Do you have any projects you're working on that are near and dear to your heart? Yeah. Um, I, I've been working with a, um, uh, an orphanage uh, in Uganda, and it's you know pretty incredible what the the guy running it. His name is Kenneth. Pretty incredible what he does. You know, he really just lays it all on the line. He was an orphan himself, so 
I'm sure he sees it in many ways as giving back to those less fortunate, given that he was taken care of. Uh, it's called Hopeland Community. I, I donate to them pretty often. And yeah, just, it's just nice to, you know, while like buying Teslas is cool, like there's still tons of poverty in the world. So like, you know, use, utilizing the, the wealth that I've created for myself um, through poker, it's, it's nice to be able to give back in that way. And anybody that wants to check that out can click through in the show page. And I'll, I'll say this, this is another, we'll end on this note, but I've had enough of these conversations and I've had enough, uh, too many internal dialogues about like when I'm playing poker, what am I giving to the world? Am I just taking this existential crisis type thing? And I would say that for the listener, you have more opportunities to give back than you may see, right? Like because you play poker and you're successful at poker and you beat people out of money, that doesn't mean that you can't give back in other ways or find other areas or opportunities to help um, and do something that resonates with you, right? I, I think that like a lot of poker players specifically think it's like binary. I'm either, <laughs> you know, I'm just taking money from people. And I'm not giving anything back when there are plenty of opportunities just every single day to give back. And all you have to do is kind of, you know, expand your awareness to see them and recognize them and, and then just take action. Yeah. The ripple effect is very real. You know, the impact you have, like it can go a long way. And I guess like, I'll just say, you know, on the topic of, that sort of existential debate wrong or is it immoral or whatever, like seems like pretty much never the case that people who actually like take the time to consider whether or not what they're doing is wrong are actually in the wrong. It's usually the people who don't even bat an eye at it and just kind of like full steam ahead. That's usually where the issues arise. Like if you have the sort of awareness um, and wherewithal, like consider whether or not what you're doing, because I've obviously had these debates myself, you know, internally. Yeah, I mean, I think if you truly enjoy playing, like you shouldn't really feel ashamed to do so. Yeah, and I mean, of course, that that's just, that's a greatness bomb. I love that, you know, if you're cognizant or aware or empathetic enough to really even see the question or ask the question, then yeah, you should feel pretty comfortable about what you're doing in the path that you're on. All right, man, final question. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience learn more about you on the World Wide Web? Um, I have a blog. I don't really update it very often. I probably have <laughs> like four or five entries lifetime. But I have had some cool people reach out to me through there. So that's been neat. I think I have the link in my Twitter bio, but... Generally, Twitter, I guess. I'm not super active on there either. Do yeah. you do coaching or like you work for the WPT in some way, don't you? Yeah, I make content for Learn WPT. I make a couple of videos every month. I was doing the live seminars uh, pre COVID, and those were a lot of fun. I haven't done one on one coaching. I'm debating getting back into that a bit. But yeah. Okay. That's pretty much where I'm at with, with poker content. Yeah, I'll put the link to uh, Learn WPT, and you can let me know if you fire up private coaching, and I can also put a link or some place to contact you on your show page there as well. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, it's been great having you on. 
yeah, I'll, I'll be reaching out again, probably in another year or so to catch up, see what's happening in your life. And yeah, if, uh, assuming that I make it out to Vegas this year, hopefully, I mean, hopefully I see a bunch of people and have a, a bunch of flow days myself, uh, just unexpected <laughs> adventures in Vegas. That sounds great, man. Yeah, for sure. I would love to grab a meal or whatever. All right, man. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks, man. You too. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.